that, baby! But here, I've met a lot of people and I've played some too. And there's one thing I know, people like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. Hey, where, baby? How y'all making the semen? Thanks for joining me here on the Spudcast podcast as I'm talking out my ass with Leo Honeycutt. Leo Honeycutt, old friend of mine, Channel 2 in Baton Rouge for, God, I don't know how, 20, 25 years. Uh, he's also the author who uh, wrote the biography about uh, Edwin Edwards. I interviewed him when it came out. I interviewed him when Edwin dies, and I'm interviewing him again because he's a cool guy, and now he's making a movie, but that's not what we're going to talk about. We're just going to talk about being a writer and what's going on in the world. So, Leo Honeycutt, talking out my ass right after this. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee, and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish Coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake or you name it, Parish Coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market. Or order it online, have it sent right to your door. What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of Parish Coffee. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound too good. You better start filling sandbags. Oh, wait, you don't have to do that anymore because you have the Home Team Advantage. You called Home Team Elevation at 504-301-1222 and you got your home lifted above the flood. No more worries for you. What about your mama's house or your uncles or your brothers? Home Team is ready to lift their spirits even higher than your home. Get the Home Team Advantage by calling 504-301-1222 or go to hometeamelevation.com. Okay, so I'm talking to my buddy Leo Honeycutt. Leo Honeycutt, who, Jesus beats Leo. That's another one of them. How long have I known you, man? Like 25 years, something like that? I think we met when we were about seven, and, uh, you know, <laughs> we're 50-plus years later. It feels like that sometimes. I mean, you know, it, it feels... Well, well, thanks. <laughs> it feels like... It just, it literally feels like I'm, I've known you so long, and at so many different levels... That, uh, that, yeah, we could have been friends as kids and just continued on from there, but, you know. Well, I think we've really been, uh, you know, kind of soulmates at, uh, when it comes to the creative aspect of this life because, you know, you, you're one of the best actors I've ever met in my life, and I'll never forget how bowled over all of Baton Rouge was because that's where I saw it repeatedly uh, when you played Huey Long. And, um, you know, and everybody was <laughs> everybody was clamoring for you to try to, get you to do uh, uh, campaign commercials for them in the guise of Huey Long. That's how good you were. Oh, well, thank you. But I also kind of had a, I don't want to say it was a long conversation with the Long family, but they basically said, we hope you stick to the script and don't start trying to put words in his mouth. But <laughs> well, that's understandable. Sure. Yeah. Well, because there was another guy that did a one-man show about Huey Long, and he wrote it and performed it himself. Don't look nothing like Huey. Don't have any gestures. I mean, I really studied the physicality and the voice of the man. This guy had a good show, though, but he opened up his second act with taking questions from the audience. And I don't know. He, no, you can't. Well, that's kind of crossing the line there, I think. Yeah, it was. It was like when we did Earl Long in Purgatory, one man play about Earl. The playwright wanted to comment about modern things, you know, uh, that are happening right then, but he didn't want to talk about 9-11. I'm going... 
dude, you, you can't do that because you're talking about a man. Look, you can talk about Kennedy. You can talk about uh, uh, Daly from Chicago. You can talk about all these guys because they were contemporaries of him or they, he knew about them. But you can't talk about anything after his death because if you do, then you, you constantly have to update the play for, for new things that are happening. And uh, I, I eventually won that argument. I'm going, look, the bottom line is I can't keep relearning this script every performance. So, and that was a good show, Errol Long. Yeah. I, I didn't, it didn't get the, the run of the popularity that uh, the Kingfish did. And Earl didn't have the same popularity as Huey, but it was still a good show. You know, it's still hard for me to believe that Huey Long was in power for only seven years. But that seven years has been replayed in the imagination of the whole American public now for the last 80 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was the railroad commissioner, uh, which is public service commission now. And right. And guess what? They impeached him on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and he's per- he's perceived as being the uh, you know the champion for the little guy, and I think in many respects was. And so there's a lot of his there's a lot of uh, of the things he said that are still very very vibrant today. I mean, good lord, the whole news now is about equity and equality and everything else. So I mean, sure, he's that story has resonated for centuries, and Huey was, I think, the previous generations. Um, uh, uh, you know, real champion for a little guy. And then I think Edwin Edwards became our generation's champion for the same thing. Yeah, unfortunately, though, you can't you can't be a champion for you know, across the board. I mean, and, and no matter what you do, somebody you're going to make enemies anyway. Obviously, he made enemies because they killed him. But um, there's there's I mean I don't. <sighs> Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Huey Long had a great heart, and, he, and his, his methods were ingenious. But when you get to the point where it's like, you know what, I want it, you know, I just dynamite him out of my way. That was his comments about his, his detractors who tried right. to, yeah. So he just, when you get to be that powerful, human beings are too frail to have that kind of power. And, and you're going to, you know, you're going to pay for it eventually. That's why there's so many yeah. peaks and valleys. But. And, you know, that's a story that just repeats itself. And you and I have lived long enough to see that repeat itself many times. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Richard Nick, mm-hmm. you know, who just gained so much power. And he was going to you the whole idea for the Watergate break in was is he was going to try to ruin his detractors and enemies in that second term of office. And it and it bit him. It, it caught him. Yeah. Well, well, what you going to do? Actually, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about you, man. <laughs> somebody who has been front of the public for and 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 across the board too. So many years on on Channel Two in the morning doing that morning show, and a lot of people woke up when I and when I lived in Baton Rouge when I was working at the Green Room back in the eighties and and going to LSU and everything. I mean, yeah, you know what? Used to turn on you and um, Channel Two and Channel Nine to get my uh, my morning and evening rush so I could face the world without being a complete ignorant boob. And, uh, but then. <laughs> Going, wait a minute, I can do that better than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. No, I, you know what? I've never really had a desire or an urge to do that. I, I did the talk radio thing because I don't like to shave. So <laughs> you don't, it don't really matter what you look like behind a microphone like that. But uh, I mostly did that just so I wouldn't have to travel so much. I was missing my kids growing up, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I was home, I wasn't making any money. So I had to go on the road and then. So, but you, I mean, you, you've been, you've been able to cross the board all over the place and now you're, you're a renowned author 
and you also are still dealing with communications because you are the the voice of the prisons of Mississippi. That's that's yep. you should have your own T-shirts for that. I speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I live in a gated community. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> now that's a T-shirt right there, man. Hey, yes, I uh, I live in a gated community. Kabang! You know, when the door slams shut, you know you're you're done. How how? How okay? Exactly. What is your title as mouthpiece of Mississippi prisons? Well, I was asked by a former warden, Burl Kane, who uh, you know really uh, set the mark for uh, Angola prison and uh, and really turned Angola around. I I had been doing stories with him for years when I was at Channel Two, and uh, and then we. Um, you know, I started writing a book about incarceration, you know, about trying to get to the nexus of what causes crime, and which is a hugely, hugely complex uh, answer. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, you know, so he and I have been doing stories for about 30 years. So when he, when the Governor Reeves of Mississippi appointed him as commissioner to try to turn around the Mississippi prisons, then he immediately called me and wanted me to be the communications director. So I went up with him to, to run communications, and we have a separate video production unit. So, um, uh, I mean, in fact, I just uh, just uh, authorized a few months ago for uh, Morgan Freeman to come in to film at one of our prisons. And, uh, 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 oh, let's say Juliet, is it Binoche? Binoche? Yeah, Binoche. Juliet Binoche, yeah. Yeah, she won the Academy for um, Best Supporting Actress in the English Patient, and so she was the actress that day at the prison, and so we got to, you know, got to pal around a little bit. She's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Now, how how a lady that speaks fluent uh, continental French is going to be portrayed as basically a redneck truck driver, I don't know, but it's <laughs> going to be interesting to see that film. Yeah, well, she 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 has the tools and she has the talent. So I don't I don't know. I mean, because my wife does dialect coaching, and frankly, uh, a lot of the people that uh, she does the history. She'll look up the history of of an area and go, why do these people who who immigrated to that area? And it's astounding that the southern dialect, frankly, is English and Scottish. Ah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yes, that's that's primarily English and Scottish. And if she's, I mean, she's French. But she also speaks fluent continental British English, you know. So switching over to Southern shouldn't be a big deal for her. Wow. Well, I used to joke, still do, that uh, when I went to Oak Grove High School up in North Louisiana, West Carroll Parish, English was the foreign language. Because <laughs> <laughs> we spoke redneck. That's all right. I can, yeah. You know, my brother married a woman from France. My youngest sister married a local guy who was like half redneck, half Cajun. And oh wow! My oh god! He, my my sister in law from France could not understand a word the man said because his his what? accent was so thick and she what did he say? I don't understand. <laughs> what did he say? And he just like real laid back and talking. I've got a little French dialect up in there, you know. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I I needed to like turn an ear to him when he was chanting too, but. Uh, well, I don't care how thick the brogue is uh, for the Cajun French. They speak for their food, and if you don't love, if you can't fall in love with them with the food, then you're dead. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty true. I have to admit, guys. I I traveled the country doing stand up, and I went up in the Midwest. I was at this. I was in Sioux City, Iowa. Oh my God! Stayed at a bed and breakfast, and they had a buffet dinner every night. And there, I, the first night I went in there, huge roast beef just dripping in juices and brown and beautiful and the corn was so yellow it was almost orange and 
broccoli and green beans. I mean, the colors were vibrant. It was almost like a, a Monet painting or something. The colors were that vibrant. Then you dig in and eat, and it's like the, <laughs> the corn tastes just like the beef. It all tastes the same. <laughs> you know, it's like the card, the pizza box tastes better than the pizza. That's right. You know. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so we're going to step away for a second. When we get back, we'll pick it up here with uh, Leo Honeycutt, and we'll talk about, of course, his, his book about Edwin Edwards and the books that he's working on now and, and what's it like being a mouthpiece for the prisons here on the Spudcast Podcast, talking out my ask. Back right after this. Hey, guess what? The pandemic's finally winding down. Looks like you might get to go on a little vacay, but where are you going to go? I got an idea. Go fishing. Get yourself a licensed and insured fishing guide at lasaltwater.com. They got a guide for everything and every place. Inshore fishing, offshore fishing, fly fishing, kayak fishing, bow fishing, you name it fishing. At lasaltwater.com, there's pictures and videos of all the happy fishermen and women and kids. And don't be the one that got away. Go to lasaltwater.com and book your charter today. And we're back talking to Leo Honeycutt. Jack of all trades. By the way, how's Jackie? How's your lovely bride? Well, there's another Jack. Uh, she's doing great. We've been married for over 40 years now. Wow. 40. I'm yeah. coming up on 27. Well, uh, you can make it the rest of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, where am I going to go, man? It was, I was lucky I found somebody who could put up with me as, as it was. So, well, it, that was great. She is. And she's she's doing pretty well, too. And. uh you know, she she has a job. She works from home, and we may get her to do some grant writing for us. Uh, so yeah, she you know, she's. I, I don't I don't know if it if it's because we stay so focused on our careers as we're growing up into our twenties, thirties, forties, into our fifties, but nobody tells you what it's like when you have grandkids until you have them. And now that now that I have grandkids, it's like start life is starting all over again. It's just wonderful. It's you know, it's like that old. Uh, that old thing that Bob Hope used to say, um, uh, you know, if I'd known that grandkids were going to be this great, I would have had them first. <laughs> and, and then he followed up with, you know, the reason why grandkids and grandparents get along so well is they have a common enemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, I my I had a grandmother when I was born who died when I was two. Like she and she died Christmas Day, like oh. about a week and a half after my sister immediately behind me. She she was born. Uh, my kids have no grandparents, so we, uh, I mean, my parents and my wife's parents were dead before we ever even met. So wow. I, the one thing I'm, I, uh, I kind of miss is, is, uh, is advice, you know, yeah. I mean, let me learn from the mistakes that you made. Like, and you got, everybody's got some kind of regrets and I go, boy, I wish, you know, when you were little, I wouldn't have done this. Well, I, we didn't have that option. And we, we made all the mistakes that frankly, grandparents would have you know, would have guided us around. So uh, I, I certainly do uh, miss them. You know, this just goes to show that you are as wise as what I've always thought because I did have grandparents. I had very close grandparents, and they were guidances for me. My grandmother was a, a Porter Choctaw Indian, and she was uh, and she was the wisest single person I ever knew. And now that they're gone, there are so many times with my grandkids, I wish I could talk to my grandparents again and, I, and of course, I can't. But, yeah, okay. uh, you're not sitting there taking notes, you know, when, right. when you talk to her. Right. Mm -hmm. they, it's they, a wonderful experience, and I, I can't wait till you become a grandfather. <laughs> Good luck with that. All four, of my, all four of my kids' grandparents on both sides were dead by the time they were 70. I'm 63, and I got diabetes. So maybe what you, you should write the grandparents' book. 
you got you got some grand. I mean, look for somebody like me who who didn't doesn't have parents alive to help me with the kids. You know, yeah, here, the grandparents' book, life through the eyes of raising grandkids, Leo and Jackie Honeycutt. You can't beat that one, man. That'd be a good book. I'll have to cut you in on the profits. I'll just take a signed copy. That'll do me good. <laughs> Let's, no, I mean, that's really a fantastic idea. I might could write that with my granddaughter. That would be wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, would, it certainly would have helped me, you know. So maybe, uh, yeah, give me three. Write it up and give me three, and I'll give them to my kids. So I think I will do that, Spud. You, you're, you called me out. I'll do it. All right, well, let's talk about the books that you're writing. I mean, you went from TV to all the different things that you do. Yeah, you, you are the, we talked about uh, Mississippi and the prisons and such, but you're the guy who wrote the, the biography about Edwin Edwards, uh, and I spoke to you and interviewed you, and I actually talked to Edwin, too, when he was alive about the book. And uh, the first thing that got to me was you told me how much they were forcing you to edit out of the book because Edwin had done so much stuff. And even now, the book is, like, huge. It's a long read. It's a much better read than T. Harry Williams' book about Huey Long. Oh, well, I don't know about that. No, no, it is. I mean, T. Harry Williams' book was his doctoral dissertation. So he has scads of information, but it, it reads like a doctoral dissertation. And I know because I read it. And, uh, you know, you got, you got great stories. There are great stories in there. It's just the information is there. It's just the telling of the story. I prefer, I prefer yours. And besides, T. Harry's dead, so he can't bitch at me anyway. Well, there you go. <laughs> But I really appreciate the compliment. I really do. I, I have uh, that really has kind of set my career after television. You know, I went from writing uh, a person's life story in ninety seconds on TV to telling Edwin Edwards' story in six hundred twenty-one pages. In the final draft, yeah. the original draft was eighteen hundred pages and over three thousand footnotes. Well, that's why I was wondering. Maybe it should be. You know, you would have to do it on your own, but it would be like a three-volume set. You know, but I don't, I don't, you know, um, uh, would the publisher go that route or can you do pre-sales no. to like universities or something? It always comes down to money. And we actually did look at maybe doing a two volume set on the Edwin Edwards book. And uh, the governor and I got to talk. And of course, you know, I was doing the interviews in prison mm -hmm. and we were talking about whether we should expand it out to two volumes. And he looked at me and he said, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to read a book on me that long. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a great sense of humor. He did. I mean, right down to the very end, he had a sense of humor. We were trying to pull him out of the bed one night, just, just days before he died. And um, I was holding on to him. I happened to be down there, and I was holding on to him. And he was had both his hands on my uh, arms, pulling him up out of the bed. And uh, Trina was on one side, and the hospice nurse was on the other. And um, as he was pulling out, he said, you know, I'm running again, don't you? And I looked at him like, what? And he said, I'm running for the bathroom, so get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's him. What are you working on now? What books are you doing now besides the grandparent book, which you haven't even started yet? Right, right. I'm working on a couple of different books. One is uh, is really focused on the future for Louisiana, and I'm working with Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser on that book. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a retrospective on what he's done, but it's also got an eye turned toward the future of what we need to do to try to get Louisiana competitive with its neighbors. I mean, good Lord, Texas is, just has a red-hot economy, 
Um, and in fact, LSU has a saying right now called Texodus because so many LSU students graduate and they go to Houston. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember the numbers right. Houston has a bigger LSU alumni association now than Baton Rouge. So, uh, so, so what's happening is, is we're bleeding people across the Sabine River, and uh, and we're still basically at the bottom. And so, why is that? And how can we stop it? But that's, so that's been we've been talking about that forever. I mean, everybody's been saying too many out. We're always losing all of our talent. People that we educate, we're not able to keep them here. I mean, once they learn how to boil crawfish and, and somebody sort of shipping them stuff out, they go, well, I could be I could be home a state away or two states away because I can still, I know how to make a roux, I know how to make gumbo, I can get crawfish shipped to me. Why do I need to be in Louisiana for them going, bruh? The best and the brightest need to stay here or you ain't, there's nobody going to be shipping you crawfish. You know, this, the state is now turning into something that it's not. And, uh, right. That's true. Well, it's all these influx of people who love the oh, I love your culture down there, and then they immediately do stuff to change it. So, yeah, well, that, that's really true. And what we're doing is we're losing high-paying jobs, which means your tax base is eroding, which means you're you're flattening out the bottom even more. And what and you wind up with um, you're, you're winding up with more people who are um, probably not contributing to the economy as much as taking from it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so we're kind of, I mean, it's incredibly, it's hard to understand how it is that we can have two of the biggest ports in the world in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, two interstate systems bisecting the state, and we still can't seem, and we're in the middle geographically in the country, we should be a distribution center. Yeah. We can't even get that off the ground. We can't even get an auto plant uh, to stay in Louisiana. So what is it? What is causing us to... to keep sliding backward. I don't know. Well, I don't know, but I know Billy would attack it because that boy loves Louisiana. He is. I don't know if he has, I know his political aspirations are to be governor. I mean, anybody who's ever talked to him for two minutes, even if he doesn't, you don't talk politics, you go, well, this guy wants to be the governor. I I don't know if he's going to be like Earl Long because all Earl Long ever wanted to be was governor of the state of Louisiana. He didn't even want to go to Congress. He was just out of options for running. But, uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the answer to that is either. I moved. I went to the East Coast. I went to the West Coast. I came back to the Gulf Coast. You know, yeah, so. I did all that. Yeah. So yeah, what's, I did, and Louisiana will call you back. If you're from Louisiana, it will, it'll never leave you. Except to go to Houston. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. you know, and, and the thing is, I just came back from Texas the other day, and having, I had to be in Dallas and in Houston both. I wouldn't live there for all the money in the world no. because the traffic is absolutely horrendous. Well, I have friends who, like, somebody I went, two people, three people I went to Nichols with. Uh, two of them, uh, they've retired now, and they live, uh, like, North Richland Hills between Dallas and Fort Worth, but, like, north of them, so it's much, you know, a suburb bedroom community, I guess, of so the traffic getting too cuckoo. But the other one, Tommy Bourgeois, he was a... Uh, he was uh, King Arthur a few years back. He he studied prop and design at a uh, at SMU and started out building props for the Dallas Opera. He is now the lead designer for the Dallas Opera, and he designs like million dollar things, you know, big big huge sets and everything else. But you know what? He lives in a little quiet house, and he comes back to New Orleans as often as he possibly can because that's just that's too many people in too small a space, you know. I'm telling you, and they're always pouring concrete. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just it's just a concrete jungle. 
Well, that that's so that's when you want to look at us. We what is our future going to be like? Fewer people and fewer concrete, or do we want the money so bad we're willing to pave over the swamps? You know, I'm well, all I'm all for saving the coast, but that's because I want some shrimp. Well, at, at the you know, and then at the end of the day, we have the other um, the other pending looming problem, and that is <clears throat> we're actually losing the land. I mean, yeah. the coast sinking into the Gulf. Has been for a long time, but maintenance like that's one thing Billy was pushing big time is let's instead of just dumping all that dredge when they dredge out the river, let's dump it in certain spaces because he'll take you he'll take you over to the uh, down Plaquemines Parish to this old Cajun dude who will point out two hundred acres that were built up from from uh, from dredging stuff and that it's it's survived three or four major hurricanes now so I don't know. Yeah. Next time you next time you talk to him, ask him about that old dude with like a twenty something, thirty something acres of land. He'll tell you. Anyway, I'm out of time. Oh, I'm sorry. No, and that's my fault. I get to chatting with you, and I'm not looking at the clock. When uh, when can we expect some of the books that are you're doing coming out? Well, uh, or early next year, um, and I'm hoping to the good Lord that COVID is behind us, knock on wood. Um, but early next year, we're looking at uh, two different things. I'm also doing a book on an industrialist, a Louisiana guy who, uh, who, who picked himself up out of the gutter uh, of alcoholism, went to AA and created a multi-million dollar business. So, um, you know, that's one of the other books. Perfect. It's good to know that people can drag themselves up. All right, Leo, say hi to Jackie for me, and uh, one of these days I'll bump into you back again. Maybe we'll go have a lunch. That'd be wonderful. All right, I enjoyed it, Spud. Tell Mo hi. I will do that. All right, wrap it up, Spudcast, right after this. Are you ready to launch? The American Space Alliance wants to accelerate and support space exploration for the benefit of all Americans, and not just for national pride. You know how many products are created by and for NASA that we use every day? scratch-resistant lenses, dust busters, LASIK eye surgery, solar cells, firefighting equipment, LEDs, insulin pumps, the list just keeps on growing. And it needs to keep on growing because the next generation of space exploration has arrived and the American Space Alliance and NASA want you to be involved. You can follow ASA on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Go to exploreasa.org to find out more. Okay, Leo Honeycutt, doing all kinds of coolness, staying on top of it. So there you go. So you got no excuse. I mean, get up off your bahonkas and get busy. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on this podcast podcast. You can find this uh, podcast on uh, Red Circle and Spotify and Google Podcasts and Amazon Music and Public Radio and Stitcher and on Twitter at Spud Got That. And on my Facebook page is Spud's Friends and Fans, John McConnell and The Big Teasy. More fabulous podcasting coming up later in the week. In the meantime, y'all watch out for the crazies, but I'm a gone for calm. 